0: discussing movie podcasts. I'm your host Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Alicia Walker. Hi. Josh Dean. Hello. And Nathan McKinney. Hello there. And today we are discussing Aaron's Choice Byzantium. Every week on this show we discuss a movie and then one of our podcasters suggests the next movie for us to discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so you can participate with us. Uh, before we talk about Byzantium, we'll talk about what we've been watching lately, Mind short and sweet. Uh, Hannah and I have been uh, despairing over the fact that there's no way for us to go to TIFF this year. Um, there's a 14-day quarantine to get into Canada, and I'm not sure that there's any way to get back from Canada at the moment. Ooh. So um, rather than spend a minimum of 24 days uh, seeing TIFF, uh, we're... <laughs> We're kind of trying to do our own thing and, uh, tried to watch a movie that was going on at a Montreal based festival. Uh, and we could get to it, but we couldn't pay for it without a Canadian credit card. So, uh, we looked into it and actually the movie came out in 2009. So I'm not sure why it's in a current movie festival. Um, but we found it on DVD and bought it. It's called Air Doll. Um, it was one of the titles on that film festival that Hannah was intrigued by. It is about a uh, a sex doll that comes to life. And <laughs> it was... Starring? Uh, it's a Japanese movie. You wouldn't know anybody in it, I'm sure. Oh,
1: that explains it right there.
0: Yeah. Um, it's... Fairly weird and comical, as you would suspect, and not something I would recommend. It kind of <laughs> ends in a weird sort of uh, nihilistic sort of way for what the movie was up until that point. But Have it's, you- a, it's very much a statement about how empty society is. And she's the embodiment of that because she's all full of air. Um, but we had to see it after the trailer showed um, her deflating in some sort of store and some guy blowing her back up um, and the positioning of the camera made it look like he was blowing her back up in a very specific way. So,
2: I mean, that, that definitely does sound Japanese. Um. He, he had his <laughs> lips
3: around her valve. He
2: did.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> he you... did.
0: And they don't show you where the valve is in the trailer.
2: <laughs> well, that's for you to find out. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> have you ever seen Lars and the real girl?
3: Oh, yeah. I, I was going to ask him if he'd seen Mannequin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah. With, Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Oh, dang.
0: I've even seen Mannequin Too.
4: On the move? <laughs> <laughs>
0: There was Why this the tiny, <laughs> this tiny little convenience store about four miles from my house when I grew up. That was like the closest civilization of anything, and they had movies for rent. And so I've seen pretty much everything on their on their uh, lineup, and they had both the Mannequin movies for some reason. So
4: <laughs> the only connective material is Mishash Taylor. Is that correct? Yeah. Yikes!
0: Yeah, awesomeness. Such such great <laughs> times.
4: Better or worse than Air Doll?
0: Uh, the Mannequin movies, I think, are
4: better. Probably.
0: Oh. Um, <laughs> whoa! I mean, it's it's like Mannequin's a comedy, and it's sort of funny and how cheesy and stupid it is. And Air Doll sort of has that for the first like eighty percent of the movie, and then it suddenly like. It's like they got Lars von Trier to do the ending. He's like, oh, you wanted nice things? No,
1: there are no nice things here. So you bought the movie, Dale. The question is the only way are to, you get going it. to Are you going to keep the movie?
0: Uh, probably, yeah, as just as like somebody somewhere might want it at some point. And um, it was incredibly hard to find. It's never been made. Uh, It's never been distributed in the United States. Um, the only versions of it on DVD are a region locked Japanese version, which you usually can't play here. And then there was a Thai version of it that was unregion locked because the Thai don't give a shit um, that had English <laughs> subtitles. So we were able to get that one. But we paid way more than we would have if they'd just let us use our American credit card for the film festival. So. <laughs> So it was only eight bucks to film festival. So how about you guys? I'm sure you had a better time than me. Unless you also (laughs) watched air doll.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Josh, how about you? Uh, well, um, I had a bunch of, uh, family stuff going on this week, but, uh, I did get to see one movie besides the one we're talking about. Um, it's also another recommendation from my friend who is putting me onto some weird, obscure movies. Um, the Corruption of Chris Miller from 1973, uh, directed by Javier Bardeen's uncle, J. A. Bardeen. Yes, oh, the seal of quality. <laughs> yes. Um, it. Uh, I. I'm not going to say much about it except like the opening scene. I wasn't, I was like, what, what am I watching? Uh, like a woman wakes up in a mansion. Uh, someone has left her alone in bed post and she's whistling for her lover and her lover will not whistle back. And, uh, I was like, what, what the hell am I watching? And then all of a sudden a guy pops out in Charlie Chaplin makeup and, uh, starts doing a silent Charlie Chaplin routine. Wait, is this
0: another fucking Miranda July movie? <laughs> no. This
4: is from 1973. <laughs> and then he murders her. So that's the opening scene is uh and I was like, okay, I'm sold. I'm watching the rest of this. It's like a really horny episode of Tales from the Crypt. So mm. if that sounds like your cup of tea, check out The Corruption of Chris Miller.
0: Better or Worse than wow. Bordello
4: of Blood. Oh man. <laughs> I- Dennis Miller used to be one of my favorite human beings until yeah. he took that tragic turn. Uh, <laughs> Before he became a right-wing freak. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> man, that's a tough call. I, I, I probably enjoyed this slightly more than I enjoyed Bordello of Blood okay. when I was 15 and saw that for the first time. But yeah, that's all. That's all I saw. Felicia, how about you?
1: Well, um, I kind of revisited the late 80s, 80s, early 90s this week and watched a little My Blue Heaven and a little Hunt for Red October. So uh, both uh, completely satisfying, but have things that bug the shit out of me in them, but doesn't matter because I still love them and always feel good after watching both of them.
0: So can you name all of the actors who've played Jack Ryan?
1: (laughs) Oh, well, Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, uh, there was that unfortunate Ben Affleck, although I don't, I didn't even see that one, and then now John Krasinski, is there anybody yep, else? You got him, that's that it. it. No, all no,
2: right. wait, 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 didn't oh, Chris Pine play? Chris Pine, Shadow yeah. Recruit.
1: Oh, what in what one? Shadow Recruit. Shadow Recruit, yeah. Oh, see, I didn't see that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Ben Affleck was Some of All Fears.
1: Yeah, I didn't see that one actually either. I think I, and I watched a little of the John Krasinski, but I I need to go back and watch some of that. But, uh, and it's been, I think comfort October is the one of, you know, those eighties, nineties, you know, big blockbuster years. I think that's the one I've seen the most. I saw the Harrison Ford ones. They were good. They were fine. I have, I don't think I've revisited those in years and years, but maybe I need to, I don't know. I think Patriot
0: Games is really solid. yeah Yeah,
1: that's a good one that's true um so i should rewatch that maybe now but i just i had to see sean connery as the scottish russian sea captain and (laughs) uh you know and i you know i'd totally forgotten that jonesy of course you know maybe it's just because he wasn't as as big at the time was um uh why can't i think of his name now who's in so many movies and he's in lovecraft country and uh, he played Courtney, yes, Courtney, Courtney B. Vance. B. Vance,
4: Vance. Yeah, there we go.
1: Yeah, I was like watching the opening credits, like, oh my god, that's who Jonesy is, of course. Like, you know, you, you forget those things. I know that character, I know that actor, but years later, he comes back and I didn't make the connection. So that was kind of fun.
0: Yeah, I think the Jack Ryan uh, Amazon show is okay. It kind of goes, it like meanders a bit. A lot of the episodes kind of feel the same over and over again. Um, but uh, I think it's it's well acted and well made overall. I just hope they like develop it a little bit better next season it, and not.
3: I've only watched season one. Is season two worth uh, jumping into? Uh, I don't think I've seen season two yet. Oh,
0: season one just kind of, like I I wasn't into the whole like the. Whatever the like mercenaries or the SEAL team, like everything they did was exactly the same, like over and over and over again. Um, so that part was really boring, but I like the Jack Ryan bits in it. And then, uh, yeah, the uh, Scottish Sean Connery playing the Russian captain in Hunt for Red October is ridiculous, but it's not as ridiculous as when Scottish born actor Sean Connery plays an Egyptian named Ramirez in Highlander 2. Right
1: of course the magician definitely. the the egyptian
2: <laughs> sure. referred to as a spaniard
1: yeah but anyway yeah, oh, i'm sorry hunt for Red october it was fun loved it i i was telling nathan one of my favorite things about hunt for Red october was i i for some reason i just really loved the way they did the transition of speaking russian to english and that and how he's like yeah. you know reading the passage from the bible and now suddenly it's English, and it's, you know, fine and normal, and everybody can just do their thing. I just love how they did that in that movie. I thought that was really smart.
0: Yeah. I've, I've seen other movies do that, and yeah, I think that's cool when they they start in the foreign language, and then, like, you just slowly kind of, without them mentioning anything, they just start talking in English.
1: I think that gives you more buy-in to the scottish accent and all the other stuff and you know you can you're for like sure. it's fine it's fine everyone's doing, doing this their for mother russia that's right
3: it's my third this is like maybe my second time to see it it is officially my third favorite tim curry movie
4: <laughs> okay
1: that's that fair out. that's fair <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> clue
4: in rocky horror uh-huh okay
1: say. no no home alone 2 lost in new york on that one no. okay <laughs>
4: i haven't seen um, that one so oh okay. yeah
0: aaron we can't really hear you but aaron said what no legend uh, oh no uh no teen i, I, uh, no, I didn't uh, grow
3: up on legend really to be honest with you doesn't matter <laughs> uh, i've never seen switch. it so
0: <laughs> it's still well, you've never seen it that's a problem oh
1: we'll, we'll have yeah. to watch it sometime
0: ridley well, scott Someone pick it. We'll watch it.
1: There you go. Ridley
0: Scott, Tom Cruise, Mia Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It is all style, style over substance, but it's very, very
4: stylish. Um, I wanted to say before we moved on from, you know what? My Blue, this people probably already know this, but bit of trivia. My Blue Heaven is a sequel, unofficial sequel to Anybody?
1: Goodfellas. I don't know.
4: Goodfellas. No exactly. kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Henry <laughs> Hill. It's uh, Steve Martin's character is supposed to be Henry Hill from uh, Goodfellas.
1: Very nice.
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nathan? Sorry.
1: No, I'm glad you interjected <laughs> that. that. I'm enjoying hearing that. That's good.
3: Am I going next? Is that what I heard? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, August the 28th was this last week. Uh, that was the anniversary of the March on Washington and to... I don't know if you really celebrate that exactly, but uh, we, we actually watched uh, a CNN movie that was available through um, our local theater here in town. Uh, it was basically a biopic about John Lewis called John Lewis Good Trouble. Um, and then we also, I personally followed that up with a PBS documentary called. Um,
1: the, I think the March.
3: March. Mm-hmm. March. So got got my, you know, late 60s feels on or early 60s feels on there uh i enjoyed it liked it a lot um if you like biopics it's a good one and it's very topical um i did not actually realize that john lewis spoke at that particular event so that was kind of new to me um but he's he's an interesting guy it's a it was a good one to watch um i also watched uh fellini's eight and a half okay it was second time i'd ever watched it um I liked it. I think it's one of those that is going to require like maybe to see it like five or six times before I really kind of wrap my head around it. Um, But I do think it's like an amazing piece of filmmaking. Um, A lot more than some of the other ones that I've seen of that era um, in that it's just... I don't know there there's something about the way it's edited and all the scenes kind of blend in together where he's kind of thinking about his past and his present past and present is kind of blending in. And then it's one of the first movies or earliest movies I've seen where they've really kind of done this like pan across a room and get like all this artistic stuff that's going on in it. Almost like, I mean, I guess it's kind of in a Robert Altman sort of thing, but it's also um, Wes Anderson kind of does it occasionally um, so anyways, I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of that one. And the last one, I can't remember if I talked about it last week or not, but I watched Rule The Rules of the Game, which is a French movie from 1929, I think is what it was. Uh, it's the only one I've ever seen by um, Jean Renoir, who is cousin or something to the, the painting, pain, painter Renoir. All these French words, I can't say any of them, so just hope, bear with me here. Uh, anyways, it's uh, it was banned in France because it was uh, about a bunch of uh, rich folks uh, just doing what they did with their lives, whatever the heck they wanted to do, and they were pretty racy about it. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it.
4: Cool. Aaron? That's a funny movie.
2: I like that one. Uh man the the last 7 days have been weird. Um I have watched Black Panther like four times. Um so that that has has been emotionally charged more so than it normally is. Um <clears throat> I also uh gosh what did I watch? I watched Gamera, the guardian of the universe today, uh, the 90s version, Um, always good.
0: Did you buy the Gamera set?
2: I did not. I wish I had. Um, I, I I really wanted to, but I had just made the plunge to get a Friday the 13th box set, and I
1: couldn't do both. Um choices, choices. Uh, no. choice it choice was theory. Sophie's <laughs> choice. It was Sophie's <laughs> choice. I've never
2: felt closer to Meryl Street.
0: Well the Gamera <laughs> the gamma box set uh is currently sold out. Um you can buy it from Scalpers on Amazon for four hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. Uh, for twelve movies. Um but I guess somehow within like US distribution of the movies coming back. Mystery Science Theater got the rights back to it for the first time in almost 20 years. And so Mystery Science Theater Collection 21, the Roman, Roman numeral 21, is back for sale on Shout Factory. And it's all five of the Gamera movies that they did in season three.
2: So, nice. I love me some Gamera, so I might pick that up. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I ordered it. Nice, nice. Yeah, this is the first Gamera release I've seen in a long time. It was hard to find the three that they made during the 90s. Um, I don't know all the
0: details. I think it was one of those things where like the person that owned the rights died and whoever inherited it didn't understand how money works and just didn't do anything with it. (laughs) And then I think that person died and that's how like... Whoever owns the rights now got a hold of it and
2: was like, yes, money is good. We'll do that. (laughs) That sounds about right. Um, I also finished up the Warlock series. Um, It was the very first time I'd actually seen Warlock 3, which replaced Julian Sands with Bruce Payne, uh, which would become a calling card of Bruce Payne's career. <laughs> but um, I was shocked to find that it's the best of the series. Like it's actually a decent movie, start to finish. And um, it, it was I, I was pleasantly surprised with that. And and then of course I, I watched Byzantium. But yeah, you
0: know. well, I think I prefer <laughs> Billy Warlock. It was on early seasons of Baywatch
2: like the nerdy guy on baywatch Mm. well yeah i mean if it's a if it's a nerdy guy of course he's a warlock probably roll for initiative all that good stuff
0: um so uh this week we had a movie we watched it was called byzantium um i hadn't seen it i think aaron's the only one of us that had seen it before unless somebody jumps in and, and chimes in and says they have uh josh let's start with you what did you think of byzantium
4: uh, okay. Well, I, I thought I'd say what I liked about it first, um, which is Neil Jordan is a really good director. Uh, I mean, he that guy can direct the hell out of some movies, uh, Crying Game and Interview with the Vampire, all that stuff. I enjoyed all that. Uh, the acting, I had no problems with at all. I enjoyed every, every bit of that. Uh, set design and cinematography, like all the, you know, crafts that go into making a movie. Top notch, I felt like for this movie. Yeah. Um, the one shot in particular I really wanted to call out was uh, they were showing the brothel from across the street. This is right after he gives uh, her or she gives um, Frank her her story. And all the other buildings are lit up and bright and the brothels just pale and, you know, bereft of blood. And I was like, oh, that's a nice little touch. Like, that's just one of those... Somebody took an extra five minutes and made sure that lighting was right and it made all the difference for that one shot. Anyway, um, so all that I liked a lot. Uh, Some structural stuff didn't quite work for me with the story. Um, I appreciated that we got that chase sequence at the very beginning to demonstrate that the the ladies are in danger, you know? I wish we had gotten to know the nature of the danger earlier in the movie because it it, it it was slack. It felt a little slack in terms of the, uh, the energy a little bit where it was like, oh, God, so these, something horrible is going to happen to these ladies. And then... In the last 10 minutes these guys show up again and by that point we know who they are and why they're there and everything so i'm like okay all right well now i get the stakes but it it kind of meanders into like some twilighty territory in the middle with the the girl wishing she could tell her dark secret and oh my why doesn't anyone love me and um (laughs) that part didn't didn't work for me as much but uh, as a metaphor for female subjugation and uh, how men tried to define women and their roles in the world, I thought it was, you know, also a little muddled, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, I wondered, like, why she still needed a guy to save her at the end, why Claire still needed a man to come rescue her, um, even though the whole movie was about her agency, sort of, um, and trying to pass that on to her daughter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I felt like it would take a step forward and then a step back and a step forward. So it all kind of washed out to like a enjoyable, but you know, it's not going to be one of my favorite movies. Kind of things. Um, yeah. Okay. So I would give it like a B, maybe a B minus. Yeah. Okay. Nathan, how about you?
3: Um, I'm really glad you didn't go to me first because I wasn't really sure what to say about this movie. <laughs> um, I I do know one thing. I enjoyed Sir Ronan in it. Not Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 was, yeah, okay. Got her name right. Yay. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed her a lot in this. Uh, she was the main reason to show up and stick around. Um, and that was great. Uh, I think there, I, there were some structural problems with this, and I, I can't put my finger on exactly what they were. Uh, maybe you guys can enlighten us as we go. I'm, I'm thinking Dale has some ideas on that. Uh, but I do think... Uh, I, there were a couple things that I had gripes about. The the one thing in particular that was just kind of annoying as shit to me is that it's like they had a couple of cool effects tricks up their sleeve and instead of just using them once and impactfully, they just felt like they had to keep going back to the well. Um, in particular, the whole like going up to the weird waterfall island with the blood river coming down and showing the birds coming out of that.
1: I think those are bad.
3: How dramatic that was. I think by the time we saw it about the fourth or fifth time I was pretty over it. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it was cool the first time and that was about it. Uh, but Sir Sharona was great. I mean, it had some cool like other locations, I think there was a good movie in there somewhere i just it it was kind of hard to see it and and maybe i need to see it again and maybe it it would improve on the second viewing okay alicia
1: um i think josh kind of um talked about things for the movie in almost the exact same way that i feel so i think there was a lot of really cool production stuff uh and choices i liked a lot of the set stuff and uh the locations they had and, and like the wrought iron elevator and stuff. You, you know, I'm, I'm always in for some really cool kind of geometric deco design elevator, you know, kind of thing going on. But, uh, and I liked like in the orphanage, the beds all look like coffins for the kids i thought i was like oh okay that's kind of fun uh so there were cool things i liked about it. i agree the acting was really good i just i just wasn't in it i just wasn't in it for most of it there was it was something with the plot i i think it i agree with josh that i think you know it's i think they were saving up this whole thing of their history for the very end like it was going to be this big ta-da reveal at the end that would make everything so clear and fantastic but i do feel like we needed some of that background a little bit earlier to to buy into their story a little more and feel more sympathy maybe for the characters i was not having the love story at all love story Mm. nada zero i'm always up for a good love story no the the redhead guy Who's a waiter, the piano bar for retirees, whatever that was. Not
0: <laughs> the piano not, bar for retirees.
1: <laughs> not into that guy at all. So just, you know, I just the the you know, the female characters definitely were stronger than the male characters, which was kind of nice. But I agree. At the end it's just kind of like, oh, okay, so then then he comes in and now they're going now they're paired up now they're oh they're cute now now they're two couples roaming the earth forever or whatever you know i just yeah i just it didn't it didn't do it for me but it had a lot of potential and i liked a lot of the people in it and had a lot of cool stuff going for it but i, I kept it's like i kept wanting to like it more than i did and and i'd start to get into something and be like oh okay well i'm still you know I, there's a new entertainment weekly let me check that out yeah i was just a little, getting a little distracted sometimes which i didn't want to do but it was happening
0: I love that you pointed out like almost first and foremost that you liked the elevator.
1: Yes. That's that's just
0: yes. awesome. Um I'm sure that's that's what the filmmakers were going for.
1: <laughs> I'm sure they were. Sorry. 100%. We need to
0: make a movie with a cool elevator in it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when they show up at that building, I was like, okay, hey, all right, building, Byzantium, cool sign, elevator, weird guy living upstairs with a restaurant on top that's (laughs) dessert. I don't know what's happening there. We didn't really come back to that at all, but okay. Like I thought this could be, they're going to open a vampire tiki lounge. I don't know what's happening. Something's going to happen up here. Yeah. Well, I kind of did. I guess they had a couple teenagers and uh, kind of had a mini bordello, but that was... That was about it.
0: Okay. Well, um, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, for a lot of the same reasons people have already brought up the acting, the cinematography, the directing. Um, I also really like the story. Um, and I can see the problems with the structure, but I actually like it in this particular case. Um, a lot of times movies that have flashbacks and especially movies that have flashbacks within flashbacks and especially movies that use those flashbacks to give you vital information about the characters in the second hour of the movie. I have problems with that's, that's a typical complaint from me, but I think it really worked here um, because you're dealing with the mystery of what their history is up until this point. And so you're kind of in the same boat as Frank, the kid with leukemia who ends up becoming the final vampire. Um, you're, you're kind of in the same boat as him for most of the movie. Um, there's the whole weird thing where she keeps writing her story and, and just like throwing it away. Um, but what I enjoyed about it, what I thought was cool about it, was it, it just would not conform to my expectations it wouldn't do it um it starts out the old man is the one that finds the pieces of her story and you think that's going to go somewhere and she just kills him um every everything like that i thought was a really interesting subversion of what was going on uh the whole uh the blood waterfall i think was like the worst effect in the whole thing that like the first time I saw it, I was like, come on guys. Really? Um, (laughs) but the shot of, uh, they, I think the reason they kept going back to it was because the first time that we see it is when Darvel. Darvel, Yeah. When, when Darvel gets transformed the first time we see it. So it's in the flashback that's from, uh, from uh, Johnny Lee Miller's character's perspective. And so we see kind of how he transforms into it when they do it with Clara, Gemma Adderton's character, there's that whole part where she's like basking in the blood. Then there's like a whole bunch of symbolism going on there, uh, which I think is interesting, but making that something that we come back to a couple of times, I think is important so that when Frank gets there at the end, we know this. We know the the uh, the importance of that. We know what that means. That he's there and he's going into this thing. Um, that that location, incidentally, is also where um, Luke Skywalker was in the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. Was, they shot that on the same island. So, hey. um, there are probably some porgs. Walking around.
1: <laughs> that,
0: that's what flew red, out of the cave. Drinking red water. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I thought the whole like sort of the, the playing out of the story while we're getting information and the backstory and all that kind of stuff worked. Um, it is a case of a playwriter adapting their own play and not not modifying the structure to fit that of a narrative of a movie. So it's very play like, um, there's a lot of characters that show up like the old man who just are there for a small specific purpose and then disappear. Um, Maria Doyle Kennedy is like fairly highly credited in the opening credits and she's in like four scenes and one of them she's dead in the car in, um, there's the teacher who they just kill off um. so it's all it's very interesting like they they don't have a lot of just uh, vampire fodder every person that shows up that ends up being killed adds a little bit to the story either in fleshing out what's going on right now or helping them f- flush out what happened before like how the writing assignment leads to us actually finding out how uh, Eleanor comes to be and what Clara did and all that sort of stuff. Um, the whole like um, the feminist angle part of it is kind of interesting too, because uh, it's, it's kind of a, a a interesting bookend to interview with the vampire, which was a very masculine opulent version of it. And in this it's very feminine and decrepit. Like every, they're not living a fabulous life like Clara is is running a bordello at the best of times and just being a sex worker at the worst of times, which follows her career as being forced into being a sex worker by uh, Johnny Lee Miller's character. Um, So that's kind of interesting. Like she kind of takes control after she becomes immortal and uses that to make money and blend in and disappear and all of those sorts of things. Um, when they first start talking about her at the beginning of the movie, uh, when Eleanor is like writing about her, she's talking about how Clara is her muse, but it's not till later that we figure out that they're sort of related. And like at first they're implied to be sisters. And then later we figure out that it's a mother daughter relationship, but they look close in age because they're both immortal. You know, the mother is immortal about, at about 24 and the daughter is immortal at about 16. Um, so I think all of that worked. Um, so I'm, I'm fully landing on the side of hypocrisy in this and saying that the weird, um, unstructured, un, uh, unrecognizable structure of this worked to its advantage to really, uh, subvert my expectations of what this was going to be i think if this was told in chronological order it would be a rote boring ass movie uh it'd be just another vampire story and i think they got the the mix of it right with all of this um but i will still say what the hell aaron
2: (laughs) man you know i was uh it was. This was around the time... The first time I watched it was around the time uh, Let Me In came out. Let the Right One In? Uh. Well, Let Me In was the American version oh, okay. of, of Let the Right One In.
0: I haven't seen the American version.
2: So y- you can only watch those so many times. And I, I was really jonesing for a vampire movie. And so everybody that was doing reviews for let the right one in and let me in they were talking about byzantium uh, by neil jordan and so i decided to pick it up i mean had saoirse ronan and and johnny lee miller in it i was like how could this be bad and i just fell in love with it the the poetry of the the dialogue in the movie, uh Saoirse Ronan's uh, monologue of of casting her story to the wind um, the the talk uh, that she had with uh, Maria Doyle Kennedy's character about years from now, yeah. walking past her garden.
0: I think that's the best scene in the movie.
2: Oh, that scene is fantastic. Uh, I also like uh, Clara. Uh, is it Jim? Jim yeah. Her, I think she stole the show, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, her scene with the teacher where she, she finally, at least in our eyes, for the very first time is admitting that, yeah, this is all true. And yeah. just confronting it and I love the how she just towers over
0: it. him in that scene. Yeah. She's got the big heels on and she just stands like right on top of him and looks down at him.
2: And it's it's so fantastic in that at the beginning, every time you see her with like Johnny Lee Miller or Darville, I can't remember the actor's name. Um Every time you see them, she's looking up at them. They're up on their horse, or right. she's down on the ground. And then, as the movie goes on and she becomes stronger and she becomes a survivor, she is towering over them. And it, I just, I loved this movie. And um, I, I there there there's not much to say outside of that uh, i thought it was i thought it was really well done i thought the structure was perfect because like you said it w- it would have been very paint by numbers if they uh if they had done it in chronological if order had been chronologically yeah yeah um i love <laughs> I, I watched this movie two or three times to figure out why they called it Byzantium. And it, it's all because of the sword at the very end of the movie.
0: Um, the building is also Byzantium.
2: It, yeah. Um, but I think the only mention is um, at the very end where he's got the sword, he got it from ransacking the city of Byzantium. And I think that's the only mention of Byzantium throughout. Um, I, I, man i i loved uh, i loved the use of music where she goes and, and plays uh, the piano. Um, i i i really enjoyed the scene where uh, the old man confronts her about her secrets, and. I I start to talk about this movie and I'm just like every single scene just speaks to me. That second time that
0: she plays the piano and plays that like impossibly fast uh, Beethoven piece, I suspected and later confirmed in looking into it that she actually played that. She took like a 12 week intensive piano course and learned how to play that piece.
2: I mean, it it makes sense. Because I can spot uh, a fake piano player
0: like a mile away and she was doing that.
2: That just makes me respect this movie even more. Like <laughs> um, Johnny Lee, <laughs> Mith-
0: Johnny Lee Mithers- Miller's character was called Ruthven, yeah. which is a nod to uh, the vampire. V-A-M-P-Y-R-E uh, written by Paula Dori. And based on a story that Lord Byron had sort of given up on, um, that story is considered the uh, predecessor to Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's kind of the, the thing that inspired that. Um, but they they came up with that. Uh, Polidori, Lord Byron, Mary Shelley, and a bunch of other people um, did this writing project where they tried to come up with the scariest stuff that they could, uh, the bunch of horror stuff. And eventually the vampire came out of that. But most famously, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein as part
2: of that project. Man, Johnny Lee Miller's character was an ass. (laughs) Like, (laughs) He he was he played that that role so perfectly that I just can't view him as anything more than an ass. Like I just I just assume he's a jerk in person because of this movie. Uh, man. That hey,
0: John, just so we're saying it, Johnny Lee Miller is probably not a jerk in person.
2: Yeah, probably not. I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> but like watching this movie, he plays it so well. You're just like this guy's a.
3: So now that we're talking through it, something that kind of came up in my mind of what was bugging me through at least the first half of the movie, and I'm not sure I've still quite got over it, is I never really bought that it made sense for these two women who were obviously mother and daughter, supposedly, um, that they confirm it later in the movie, but Mm -hmm. they kind of leave it as a weird mystery for some reason through the earlier part of it it made no sense to me that they would still have those specific roles that many centuries later I don't think they do well, but I mean, she's still, I mean, it it didn't make any sense to me that Saoirse Ronan's character hadn't like sorted through some of this shit way earlier. (laughs) I mean, it just, it it was kind of like, really? Why now? Sorted through what exactly? Uh, the fact that they can't just be open about what they're doing and who they are, um, that she has to write down her silly diary thing. And, um, I, I just, I, I wasn't buying it. I wasn't buying that. That was, it didn't feel like a lived in problem for
0: 200 years, you know, but they're in hiding from the two male vampires.
4: Yeah. But she doesn't know that. Like, that's one of those things that like, if, if Clara had taken five minutes to tell, uh, Eleanor, like you were being hunted by these other vampires that want to kill us. Uh, I can't I would have remember solved. now. Does she not know that? She no. didn't.
2: When she talks yeah. to the teacher, when she talks to the teacher, she says, "Do you know what happened after that?" Because I've never told her. Right. That's, yeah, exactly. That's uh, why the story like ends that had at a certain point.
4: In. Like it feels like something a teenage girl would go through, maybe. But not a two hundred and something year old girl. Well, I mean, I, she
2: she's sixteen, a hormonal teenager for eternity, <laughs> forever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, God. it's kind of like in Interview with a Vampire, with uh, Kirsten Here's Dunst's Dunst. character. She like she cuts her hair and it immediately grows back, and she just loses her shit over that. That's That's kind of the thing. is she she's going through these changes forever. She has no impulse control forever.
3: <laughs> I, I don't think it helped any that there really wasn't a lick of chemistry between Sersha Ronan and the other girl uh, vampire, like none whatsoever. I don't know if that was intentional, but over 200 years you would at least kind of have something, I would think. I think they're pretty uh, tired of each other. Oh, yeah. That was the way I read it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like
0: being stuck with your mom for 100, 200 <laughs> years.
3: Yeah. And I may be the only person that felt that way, but that bugged me most of the way wa- watching the movie.
0: Yeah. I, I I, mean, I think it was just like the circumstances because I think that the mother shelters the daughter and in that way they still maintain that sort of a relationship. Um so like her being sheltered and not talk and being forbidden to talk about what she is to other people keeps her from exploring that any deeper. And I, so the only way that she can express that or deal with that is to write, but she's not allowed to have anybody see that writing, which is why she keeps writing her life story over and over again and throwing it away. Yeah, um, It's,
2: it, it's also like they had no interaction for the first 16 years of her life. So mm. in in one fell swoop she gets raped, gets syphilis and then is abducted by her mother and turned into a vampire and now they're on the run for the rest of their lives. It's that's a lot to unload on somebody, especially a 16-year-old.
0: Yeah. Well, and getting
1: raped raped by your dad, I guess, too. Right? I think
0: it's also raped by her dad.
1: Isn't that wasn't Johnny Lee Miller her dad? Isn't that who she had the baby by? That's
0: not how I read it, but that might oh, be right. Oh, okay. It, um,
2: she she just becomes pregnant over the years working oh, at a brothel, okay. so it could be anybody.
1: Gotcha.
0: Yeah, and that's the beginning of the of Eleanor's story. Is always that you know the mother wanted to smother the baby, but in that moment couldn't smother the baby. And that's how she came to exist. There's also the implication, um, in the scene where, uh, when they're actually, when, uh, Clara is talking to the teacher, they show her at the window again at the orphanage. And one of the matrons, is like letting some guy pick a girl to take with him. And so there's the implication that that's the thing that sparks Gemma to, to move and actually get Eleanor out of that situation. Like she sees the same thing about to start happening with her, um, or she's just, you know, basically used for sex and that's her whole life. But then she she doesn't get there soon enough to stop Ruthven Johnny Lee Miller from from coming after her for revenge. So, so that was a thing.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm glad y'all enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Aaron.
0: Well, it is Alicia's turn to pick a movie. What would you like for us to watch?
1: Well, I've got a couple in my mind that I'm a little disappointed in because they're not easily available streaming. So I'm going to have to go for something that's a little more accessible. Um, So I thought I would try a movie that I have not seen in many years. So I've forgotten so much of the plot myself and kind of want to revisit it. And that is uh, Clute, Donald Sutherland and Jane Fonda.
0: That sounds great. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for discussing Byzantium. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast.